You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I'm Michael Halcombe and I'm here with Fred Long. Fred, how Good. Are you? I'm kind of sporting my Chaim Potok beard. Oh, I kind of, yeah. you didn't mention Dude. that last time. I was, I was here and I even brushed it out a little bit and uh, you didn't even I think it's more of a David Crowder. That's a, always reminds really? me of. Yeah, maybe not as long. Is that a good thing yeah. or a bad thing? Yeah. Who's David Crowder? No, it's fine. David Crowder, the worship. Yeah, leader, I've heard of guy. him. Yeah, yeah, I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah. Crowder I just don't know what he looks like. Anyway, David Chowder Band. Yeah. Hmm. David Crowder, Crowder yeah, yeah. Band. Yeah, he's kind of got an odd look to him, but his beard's a little longer than yours, but mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of it. Yeah. So. Well, we are still in Galatians, and uh, today we're at uh, Galatians 4.21. So for those of you who are watching, I'm going to pull the text up on the screen, and uh, you can see the text with us. So, or 4.22, yeah, right? 4.22. Sorry, 4.22. Yeah. yeah, 4.22 and 23, that's the today's episode. So I'm going to go ahead and read that, and um, we I'll point out a couple things, one or two things about pronunciation, and we'll... We'll get going on grammar, syntax, context, theology, all that stuff. So it sounds like this. Yegrapte gar oti avram dio vius esken. Ena ectes pedisques ke ena ectes elefteras. This is an interesting one. There's all kinds of uh, pronunciation things going on. Remember in the previous episode, I talked about when you have an epsilon following a gamma, it turns the gamma into a Y sound. Um, so you get the the Y gamma sound here, and then immediately following that, you have a gamma rho, where you get the regular gamma sound. So this is yegrapte. Mm-hmm. And it, the alpha yota on the end is that epsilon sound. So the first syllable, ye, and the last syllable, te. Yegrapte, with the stress on the first syllable, because that's where the tonos, the accent falls. So, yegrapte, right? Um, so, you get three g-g-g's here. Yegrapte, yegrapte uh, gar. Um, and then, you notice with Avraham, you have the double alpha there. And you'll see that the tonos falls on the second of those alphas. Instead of holding that out as if it were just Avram, uh, really you can do Avram, uh, Avram, and give that that second one kind of the stress there. Um, and then one more thing I want to point out here, maybe two actually, with is this word wheels. You can do this a couple of different yeah. ways with the Koine era pronunciation, the Kep. Um, I tend to just pronounce, sorry, the uh, the Ypsilon Yota as a we, like a W-E. So it's we, weus, weus. Now you can also do it as U-E-U-S. It's a little more, takes a little more effort. U-E-U-S. But it's easier just to do weus. And then finally, one thing with the, you can have, you have Eschen here, and then Anna, and you'll notice that the Eschen has a smooth breathing mark, and the Anna has that rough breathing mark. 
Nevertheless, they both sound the mm. same. In the pep, we don't pronounce this rough breathing mark, the dasupanevma, uh, with a h sound. It's just smooth. Esken, ana, ek. So you get three epsilon sounds there in a row. Esken, ana, ek. Same thing over here. Ana, ek. Very helpful, Michael. Can you explain? So the rough breathing marks were added later, but they're already the the asp the they're they're leaving behind uh, effects in the text yeah. because you have aspirated forms. Yeah. So the preposition epi uh, epi uh, in certain situations uh, before a word that has a rough breathing mark becomes f f yeah so why is that yeah. happening if we don't pronounce the breathing is it because the breathing is just heavier but but you know we learned h it sounds like an h with erasmian that's right but that's that's wrong yeah. but there was something going on with the breathing because apparently that's right. this left behind yeah, it, thing. So could you explain that just briefly? That's right. It's a carryover from the classical era, like prior to the Koine era, right? And so uh, Eta uh, would, in fact, in the classical era, possibly have had that rough breathing sound. Uh, and if you think about how the letter H looks, so in this text on the screen, you can see the little uh, rough breathing mark. It looks like a reversed apostrophe mm -hmm. or uh, the open quote mark or something like that. Um, well, in antiquity, it would have looked more squarish, like a, like an, um, a little L, if you will. And if you think about it, that forms like the top bracket of an H um, or an eta. So in the classical era, you definitely had uh, that that aspiration happening. In the Koine era, what we find is that uh, that has largely vanished. And one of the only places that you find aspiration still happening is in foreigners' names. So if someone had a Roman name and there was aspiration at the front of it or an African name or an aspiration at the front of it, then you would keep that. So it's not as if there was no aspiration in the Queen era, but uh, it was largely relegated to foreign words and particularly foreign names. So the prepositions when they're aspirated, so a pi or a p going to phi, that's carryover from classical era conventions? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think you could have aspiration without the an H sound, right? You can have without a heh. That guttural? Yeah, like yeah a, guttural. a little bit more of a guttural yeah. or a... You do get some of that with letters like T and kappa yeah. sometimes. like Yeah. Uh, and then you have vowel clash going on. Um, uh, so right here we have... Epangelias, you have that ng. Um, so there are some uh, places where you can get some, you're right, some of that aspiration, but the rough breathing mark by the time we're in uh, the Quina era 
isn't denoting that any longer. And those marks weren't even in the texts, right? That's right. So they weren't even in the text. So they were added later by some kind of convention. Um, And I don't even know. I mean, there must, we must know how early those were added, but even Codex Sinaiticus, which dates to the fourth century, I want to say 10th, but I'm really wrong. Uh, but someone came later and added those marks. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's really, yeah. it's really interesting. This kind of, these kinds of things. Uh, okay. So how do we translate this? Well, verse 22, it has gar. The gar is indicating strengthening for in English. For it has been written that. It has been written that now the OT there, I don't know if it's needed. So that would be an example of a recitative OT, some kind of equivalent to a recitative, mm-hmm. what's called a recitative OT. It's not needed for, for it has been written this colon. Yeah. Yeah. Abraham was having two sons. Um, no, had Eskin. Eskin is uh, the heiress, second heiress of Echo. Um, the imperfect would have been Ichen, Ichen, but um, this is second heiress, changed stem. So Abraham had two sons, one from the slave woman and one from the free woman. So the, 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 the two ones, the, the specification of, of one uh, and then one is technically apposition. So there's further um, explanation given to the two sons. So that's why this is set off by commas. So apposition is when you abut one noun to another or one uh, thing uh, that's representing like a nominal idea to a former noun. And in this case, the, the, the abutment, the apposition is given further specification of who those two sons were. And what's profiled, what's construed in, in the way um, you have a numeric division. So you have two sons and then one and one. And what's construed mm-hmm. about them is their origins, ek with the genitive. Ek with the genitive, ek with the genitive. So, and the construal has to do with the social status of the of the mother. And so what's profiled is 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 the st- status of slave versus free. So that's what's being construed. So two sons, but different. The nature of the mothers is different. The the social status of the mothers, slave versus free. Now, this is important because Paul is going to elaborate on this in what follows. Now, um, grammatically, also the yegrapte, is a scripture citation formula. So this is a perfect middle passive indicative from, from grapho, I write. 
and this is this indicates that there is something being uh, cited in reference to scriptures. And so this is not a direct quotation from scripture, but it is certainly summarizing uh, scripture. And so the text is from, well, I guess Genesis 16.5, um, but, but also from another passage. So Genesis 16.15, I should say, says, uh, so Agar, Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham called his, him, the name of his son uh, Ishmael. But then the free woman is summarizing what's from Genesis uh, 21, 2. So, you know, six chapters mm-hmm. apart or five chapters apart. Uh, so Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham. Um, so, but the yegrapte here is indicating that the content is scriptural, even though this is not, you're not going to find a direct quote where it summarizes this so succinctly. Rather, Paul has brought together scripture and there's some prominence here because it's been written, it has been written this, colon. So he's, I mean, to spell it out here, if it has been written this, Abraham had two sons, one from Hagar and one from Sarah. But... Yeah. I mean, we they would have known that we we need to spell it yeah, out. Yeah, they would have they would have known that. I think they would have known that. He's going to say that in a minute. Yeah, but yeah. but, but it, then it's important that he doesn't specify Sarah or Hagar. He specifies their social status in regard to slavery or freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now you'll remember. I don't. I believe I've shared this, but. Um, I I spent a year, almost a year and a half preaching through Genesis, just episode by episode. Mm. And uh, I think I've said it on this podcast, but the word Hagar, I don't take that as a a name. Um, Literally, uh, it's the Hebrew article with the noun Hagar, which means the foreigner. So it's really just a description, uh, Hagar, the foreign woman the foreigner um so that that's kind of interesting it's gonna treat it almost as if it's a name down here but um just keep in mind that it doesn't just carry uh slave connotations but also foreigner connotations Uh, i think that has some importance as well Mm. yeah interesting so you think the word so the word hagar itself yeah, I don't pronounce it as Hagar. Like if I'm preaching or teaching this, I won't say Hagar because I feel like that's misleading. I call her Hagar, the foreign woman. The foreign okay, because the word gar means foreigner? In Hebrew, is related Gare. to gar. It's the same Semitic root, which is the foreigner. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So that's... Which makes a lot of sense in Genesis, right? The the foreigners are usually the ones that enslaved or enslaved. I mean, uh, you get Joseph too when he becomes a foreigner; he's enslaved, and uh, then there's all kinds of enslavement that comes out of that. Uh, the Israelites end up enslaved when they're in the land of Egypt as foreigners. So it's like this turning of the tables. 
um, as it were, later in Genesis. But yeah, so you can you make that connection on that level too, on the narrative historical level that the foreigner is the slave enslaved one in Genesis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for, uh, for when people were con conquested, <laughs> when they were overtaken, uh, they were brought back as slaves. So they're literally foreigners of, of other ethnicities that then became enslaved. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Uh, okay. So how about verse 23? I think we're ready for it. And uh, yeah. Yeah. You want to read it? All right. Yeah. It's Alomen ectes pediskes katasarka yeyenete ode ectes elefteras di epangelias. That's an interesting, that's a like kind of really pretty sounding to mm -hmm. me. It's got a good flow to it. You can see that the the reason the alpha has dropped off the Allah there is because an Omicron and O follows it and you you don't want to have vowel clash, uh, cacophony. And so you you don't want to do Allah O. It's a little too much effort. It's vowel clash. So you do Allo. Allo, man. And it almost sounds like a verb. Allo, man. Allo, man. Ectes pedisques catasarca. And then you get this interesting word. You get the double yeah. yeah. <laughs> followed by the double new. Um, so I tend when I get a double letter uh, to hold those out, but you can see a good example here. So hold that double new for just a split second. But up here I was encouraging with Avram. You don't necessarily have to do that. You can, but since the stress is falling on the second alpha, uh, that's why I put the stress there. So it sounds like almost two alphas, but down here with the um, sorry, double. You, yeah, yeah, the yeah. double new, you don't necessarily have to do that. So here you get the odek, odektes. So it just flows, it's nice. Odektes elefteras. And then, of course, the double gamma, the first gamma turns into a new. Yeah, I'm intrigued by all of that. Um, there's kind of a softness to it, I think, or a, I don't know. So mm -hmm. Allah, because the Allah o alomen ek, um, they're not. There's no stress until the men, and then there's no stress yeah. after that. Alomenek taste the diskes katasarka yegenete o the ek taste eleteras di apangelias. I think you inspired me. I don't think I've ever read uh, Kep. I think I read that pretty well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm trying to get into the, the thought process of this and thinking. Well, we're, we encounter, uh, as I look to translate this, um, we encounter a bit of an anomaly. Al, Allah, uh, normally follows an ek. Uh, an uk, I mean, an uk or a me as a corrective, so not this, but this. Now we don't have that negative element proceeding. Uh, Allah marks correction. Here, I... Could I push back on sure. that a little bit? 
I mean, just an idea. What about the Ukakuete? Yeah. Could that be the I thought about that. The and I thought that you might take us back there. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Honestly. Good. Um, um, so aren't you hearing the law, but... Yeah, you are not hearing the law, but... Yeah, yeah I don't think so. I think what's I think it is intriguing that I think there's a negative idea that's implied and the negative from verse 22 and I think the negative idea is they they don't have the same origin. Yeah. But um and I, I'm wondering what's the cognitive effect of the reader or hearer having to supply that negative. Like sometimes I think when hearers have to generate something to make the grammar work, that that, that actually yeah. may make more of an impression. I'd have to study that. It's almost like the absence of it then makes it more prominent in a, in a way. And that seems counterintuitive. Mm. Um just because you're expecting it and it breaks yeah, it's pattern, a, it's a breaking of pattern. But I'd have to, I'd have to really study that. But I think that's what's going on here. They're not the same implied, but on and then you have a nice balancing. Men is forward pointing, anticipating something. That's its marking, and it's anticipating a death. A men death. So you're getting a nice balancing of of these two uh, sons. On the one hand, the one from the slave has been born according to the flesh. On the other hand, the one implied born from the free woman through the promise. Wow, what an interesting study of prepositions. You got ek indicating source. You've got kata indicating like standard or measurement according to. And then you have dia, which is intermediate agency through, through the promise. So contrasting, the contrast here is between the kata the standard of flesh. And this is really where Abraham, right, took things into his own power to try to make this promise that God made to him come to pass. And this is precisely the, what was happening, I would say, with the Judeans in the first century, that in effect, they're trying to make things happen, uh, trying to make, make things come about out of their own flesh out of their own um, way of being in the world independent of the promise. And this is the point that Paul will be making. So Abraham had to wait for the promise. He couldn't make it happen on his own. And uh, boy, how common is this? I mean, I'm not blaming uh, Judeans or mm -hmm. 
anybody or Abraham for that matter. I mean, this idea of waiting for the promise to be fulfilled according to God's timing and God's ways. Like this is, man, we all struggle with this. We struggle with the timing. We struggle with the means. And and it's the struggle that I felt as a seminary student, like faith and reason. Like, where do they fit in? Am I supposed to use my mind and and work things out and think things through and figure things out and do things? Or do I trust in God's ways and his timing? So this this agony between faith and reason. And I think it's a false dichotomy, but in terms of of our living of our lives, I think sometimes it, it really can be there if we if we mean by our mind and our thinking and our reasoning are taking control, are taking control yeah. and wanting to see things done our way, we might be very well yep. intended. Versus that that God. actually was a lot. I mean, it's interesting that he appeals to Abraham because that was Abraham's number one problem, in my opinion. He kept attempting to force the issue like of having a child. He kept going to these drastic means to make it happen. So did Sarai or Sarah. They kept, I don't believe in the concept of God's timing personally. Mm. I I, um, I have my reasons for that. That might be a fun thing to discuss at some point. Uh, Maybe we could do it here, but man, uh, I do. I do. I believe in God's timing. Yeah. Let's discuss that in a minute. But I, I think you're on point. Your your main point is exactly mm. on point that uh, this whole trying to force an issue or to force God's hand or to get out in front mm-hmm. of God and make it happen rather than uh, being patient and waiting and letting God do his thing, right? Abraham could have had a child in nine months. Instead, it took 80 years. Uh, because he kept trying to do things his way and kept getting in God's way. And so a lot of times you're right, we're, we're getting in God's way. Um, I can explain why I don't believe in the concept of God's timing, but um, I do wholly agree with you that so much of what we do is getting in God's way. And if it's when we learn to surrender and just yield uh, that, that we, we give God that space to work and do what God desires yeah. to do. And I, I think, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I think what we need, and I don't mean to say this is sound trite in any way, but we need to be, we need to be led by the spirit. So to be in like a fellowship with the spirit, with God, um, who, who checks our hearts. And, and I think, you know, can guide us and say, wait, you know, like, I think the spirit is there as a, a guidance for us, but I don't know for that sure. we've, we've exercised those muscles enough to, to learn, to hear, like, it's not often in our traditions, our spirituality to foster that listening and that relationship with the spirit Maybe we've seen negative examples of this. We've seen a lot of abuse of this. I, I'm i a little bit uneasy with it myself, but I've had some very powerful experiences with the Spirit. Um, so I think, I think there's a big gap. The average Christian 
and following and being led by the spirit, following the spirit, spirit being led. I think that there's too big of a chasm there. And I, I think if we were to lean into walking with the spirit and being led with the spirit, like read Romans 8, if you want to think about the possibility of what's there with the spirit. If we were to be more in tune with that yeah. spirit, I think that's the check that would help us, warn us to wait, sure. warn us to, you know, to be patient, warn us to do things God's way. I mean, the Holy Spirit is is wooing yeah. us and constantly having us do things God's way, bringing things to our remembrance, bringing scripture to our remembrance. So I, I just convicted. I, I had a seminary professor whose name will go unnoticed, but this professor was was constantly, I mean, I don't say constantly, but so many times. Like, I can't tell you how many times I heard this professor make this point. Because I had a lot of classes with this professor uh, about the fact that we shouldn't trust our emotions, mm -hmm. that our emotions are misleading. Mm -hmm. And I just do not buy that mm -hmm. at all. I think that's total crap. Uh, I think our emotions are God-given signposts to uh, point us to the fact that God's up to something in us and around us. And so when we're feeling angry, I think this is the spirit at work in us uh, pointing us mm. to something. And they, every emotion, in my opinion, is a reminder to turn right back to God, whether it's uh, a joyous emotion or an angry emotion, a sad emotion. Those are all signposts that we can't handle whatever yeah. it is uh, we're doing on our own. Yeah. Right. It, it needs to, so emotions aren't the boogeyman or yeah. the bad guy. And I think those emotions are, are really just another way of talking about the spirit stirring in us. I, I agree with you that checking in that noticing mm -hmm. um, it's, it's right. Like having a spouse, like uh, before I was married, I could do whatever I want, but, now, like I have this teammate and uh, as simple as like, if I'm out, you know, returning from a meeting or something, I call, hey, what are you doing? Where are you at? What's up? Do you need anything? It's mm -hmm. that just checking in, right? And being mindful of the mm -hmm. other person. Well, why wouldn't we be checking in consistently with the spirit who's in us? That goes back to a lot of the question I asked the spirit, like, God, what are you thinking about mm -hmm. this? How are you yeah. feeling about this? Would you give me the words that you're using to think about this uh, so we can be on the same page? That's uh, that, very that helpful. Sort of thing. And, and not, not yeah. doubting, yeah. not doubting that when the Spirit is, is giving me something that, and I mean, not doubting in a way that just discounts. So uh, questioning is fine. And like, so if I, if I say, you know, spirit, uh, what do I need to give to you right now? And something immediately comes to mind. I don't doubt. Like I just give that away, give that to the spirit immediately. If I have a question about it, then I'll just mm -hmm. check back in the spirit. I think this is what I'm hearing. Is, is this right? You know, would you yeah. confirm this? So yeah, I, I agree a thousand yeah. percent. That's right. I don't think it sounds trite yeah. at all. Yeah. 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 So um, that's great to hear. Uh, the um, I think what we're talking about is praying in the spirit. You know, praying constantly, Paul says. Pray constantly. Well, how is that even possible? 
Well, it's possible if we understand that prayer um, is relationship. And it's not just us speaking. It is being in the presence of God and hearing. Uh, If we think of prayer mainly as speaking, we're, we're missing out on the relationship. What relationship do you have where you have to do all the speaking? Oh my gosh, I'd hate to be in relationship yeah, with you if that's what's going on. I know some Oh my gosh, like that's that. terrible. No, it's listening. It's listening. And this is, you know, the spirit helps us with that deep listening. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I agree 100%, Michael. Um, so this idea of Abraham. So I know you're kind of down on Abraham, and I, I, I think I get it. I think you've convinced me that. <laughs> He was a jerk and did some bad things. I mean, he he took Lot along when God said, don't take any family yeah. members. Very disobedient yeah. in the beginning. And yeah. then, um, but there's something that Paul stresses about Abraham. So as, as much as, as many of his faults and disobediences, there's something that Paul says that we should align with. Sure. And that is faithful Abraham. So if you go back to Galatians 3, yeah. 9, in the Osta clause, look, it gets a concluding clause. So then, the ones from faith are being blessed with faithful Abraham. With faithful mm-hmm. Abraham. So Abraham somehow eventually ended up being faithful. Um, even though it wasn't yeah. a perfect maybe obedience he still did some things that god he went he just got, he got in, in his, his own, own way. way yeah i mean he got in god's and his way. leaving yeah, i mean we have way. to remember he was leaving ur of the chaldeans this was like a bustling yeah. metropolis it was happening it was like the place it was the hip part of town i'm sure just like great and then the lord says to leave and go to this weird pasture place you know no infrastructure no anything it could be quite intimidating to do that vulnerable there's safety in numbers you're not in numbers anymore and i mean i think you could say that abraham felt vulnerable in terms of safety says hey lot join me (laughs) in other words it's pretty scary so he did go but he just was adding to it and that that's our temptation Yep. yep is to add it is. to it. Yes. Yes. So let me revisit uh, God's okay. timing. So I'll tell you why I, I struggled with this so much. Um, where I started thinking differently about it was when we were going through some of our international mm. adoptions. Things just repeatedly like would not line up to allow us to like finish the process or bring it to completion and just kept roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And I would hear people say things to us. Well, the most common thing we heard was all in God's timing. And I just like got to the point where I wanted to choke people when they said that to me, because it was, it's almost as if God was causing the delays, right? Yeah. And the reality is, if you know the details, God wasn't causing the delay. 
we had an, a director of an orphanage stealing money that was causing delays and skipped country uh, causing delays. We had uh, social workers that were causing delays and employees that were causing delays. Some out of laziness were causing delays, like the adoption agency we were working with. So there's all these people involved that were making choices that were mm -hmm. causing prominent yeah. delays. Awful. And it just pissed yeah. me off like that people would would have the nerve to say to us well that's all in God's timing as if God were the one was the one causing the delays and if God somehow desired for our kids to suffer in Ethiopian orphanages longer than for years longer than they should and uh so I stopped I stopped subscribing to the idea of God's timing that that God's operating in some, some time continuum that we're not. Now, I know God is eternal. I get that, right? He's the only eternal being. But he's created the space-time continuum. And even more than that, he stepped into it, and he's operated within it, and he's created us to operate within it. So he's not simply sitting without outside of our space-time continuum as if he's operating in a completely other space-time continuum that we can call God's timing. I think he's operating in our continuum. So this is some of the stuff that it caused me to start thinking differently about the notion of God's timing. What I do think is that God has ideals that he would like each of us to live into. And what happens is that you know, that could happen in a much quicker way than it usually does, but we tend to step in and mm -hmm. fuck it up and make it all messy. And so does God have an ideal for how quickly he would, you know, something could, we could live into something? Uh, perhaps in many cases, yes, always. I don't think so. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, Thanks for sharing that. And sorry, I remember talking with you when you were going through that process and it's awful and I don't even know half of it and, and, and know how you felt. I just remember that you were there at one point and you said, this is the worst day of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty bad. Yeah. This is the worst day of my yeah. life. Um, and at one point you said, this is the worst place in the world for a child. Like, uh, Amusha, yeah. right? Yeah, maybe I don't mm, need to mention yeah. names, but you know, the timing is a tough one because we can never right now see the alternative timing. We don't know what was spared. We don't know what was prepared for. Things are still being worked out in a certain way. So that's that's tricky. So we can never, we can't really argue that for certain one way or the other. Um, we're always seeing things partially, not fully. Um, I think the other the issue of timing, I, I, I agree with you that God is working within human time and space. He's working within our time constraints. Uh, whether, you know, he's got an outside perspective, sure, fine, but he's still working things in and, in and our time space. And I think a complicating factor are the layers of agencies. 
And that's what I heard you talking about mm-hmm. are the different agencies that were interrupting things. Now, could God work through those agencies to have brought about a different timing impact? Possibly. Yeah, he certainly could have. If they yielded to him, he's not going to yeah, force himself but on he can. Yeah. He can make whimsical, sinful people do all kinds of things, I believe. Now, um, you know, why didn't he do it there in your case? Well, maybe there was a different message being communicated. Don't. Um, you know, stop or stop or something like that. And that was a message that you weren't wanting to hear, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I had people I don't say know. that to me. I mean, we don't yeah, have the full, say that the full knowledge of, of things. Uh, and it's hard to say, you know, if you're not, if we're not walking in each other's shoes. I do think that if you have agencies, people, <laughs> spirit beings as well, maybe angels of some kind, if they are aligned with God's, I think he can orchestrate things easier and better. So in the revival outpouring that I was, had to be a part of, got to be part of in terms of praying and the timing and who I met with at that altar was amazing. It's like blew me away as like, my goodness. So, but there you had people who are like trying to seek after God and putting themselves in God's, you know, surrendering. And then for him to be orchestrating things, I saw that like real clearly and obviously. Um, I think when we're moving, God can send people our way for mission to meet for the sake of converting and, and, and bringing them to the Lord. But we have to be moving. And when we're moving, I'm, I'm talking about like physically, God, he might have many people that he wants to bring to, to himself. And if we're moving out, he could orchestrate the meeting of person, you know, 120, you know, let's put a name on her, Sue, meeting Fred at the airport, waiting in line. And if I'm being led by the spirit and I move to compassion, say, hey, I like your suitcase. What an interesting suitcase. And then we start talking. You're like, boy, this, you know, whatever. And just like, what do you do? Yeah, whatever. So, but we have to be moving. So anyway, that's just my thought on it. I think about it a little bit differently, but I, I, I would think about it less as God, um, orchestrating is an interesting Mm -hmm. word. I mean, I find that fascinating. I struggle a little bit with it, but I also embrace it a little bit. Um, So I think for followers who yield their lives to God, they have an openness to listen and be to go where God sends them. Right. Um, They should anyways. And that openness to go when you have a word or a hunch or an idea that God wants you to go here and be there and perhaps say this, do this. uh, I think that's different than God saying, God is, God put me there. No, it's not God put me there. It's that I yielded to God, opened myself to God, and I went 
uh, at God's behest or God's God led desire. You there? Can God you think God led you there? Um, maybe oh. God led me there. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, different sure. than God put me there. I think that's a yeah, really yeah, yeah. important because you had to follow. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, exactly. So, like in your case with the Asbury at the uh, the altar at the revival. Yeah, I think it's two people that were open to God leading them to this place. But that God put you there? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that. No. But maybe you would. I, no. I wouldn't personally. I was, yeah. you know, I was led. I think I was I was being obedient yeah. to, to say I was prompted. Exactly. You know, part of me at first was like, yeah. you know, I don't want to try to muscle my way in or try to be someone cool or influential. You know, I was just like, this is not about you know, whatever, like I have to like show something. But then I was like, wait a minute, they may actually need people. And like, I've got something to offer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So then it, then it was like uh, being led and uh, trying to obey in that way. Well, um, yeah, we have these promises. So what are these promises, you know? And are we acting according to promise? Are we living into the promise of God, the, the kind of things that he wants us to be and to do? Um, and and are, we, are we in community to be encouraged to do that? Yeah. And how are we being led? And I think it, I think it is a matter of being led. Um, and what's at stake? Yeah. Sin yeah. enslaves. Period. It, it restricts yeah. our vision. We don't see things as we should. It's like a blinders on. We can't see what's around us. We're in John Sunday school class. It's we're talking about darkness and stumbling. Like that's sin. That's not freedom. Freedom is expansive (laughs) to use counseling terms. Like it allows us to explore like, who are we? And, and, and uh, I'm made this way and I have these gifts and, I, I need people to help me. I have this to offer to people. I do so in ways that's not restricting them, but freely, you know, able to love and respect the differences and 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 people and to be in fellowship that isn't uh, obligating people, but is inviting and um, has freedom to, to laugh and to explore, yeah. to not be judgmental. Uh, but yeah, so the freedom of the promise of God. Yeah, let's live into that. Do you have a, anything else to say before you, a parting shot, Michael? No, I, I do have a parting shot. Um, it's this. I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune oh in. George Washington oh man. Carver. What a person and what a quote. And you chose that before we went into this. How appropriate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. who, who knew that we'd be, who knew that we'd God. be talking about the spirit and all this. And then that quote just lined up with that. I'd say that's pretty good timing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, thanks Fred for the insights and the discussion and, uh, charitable discussion. Mm. I appreciate that. Um, and thanks to everybody for watching or listening. Uh, please help us by subscribing on whatever platform you watch or listen on, hitting the like button, and most of all, sharing. Uh, so we uh, appreciate 
everyone who continues to help grow the podcast. And um, we're grateful. So until next See time, aloha. Interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start? Glow's House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glossa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glossahouse.com today. Glossa House, language resources for the global community.